What the hell is the name of this thing? Is this Wayne's World? The award-winning Evan Grant. I can't even count anymore on my fingers and toes. Kevin Sherrington. Kevin Sherrington, clown number one. Barry Horn. He tried to get me in mid-shoe. Hello, everybody. Welcome into another edition of Ballsy, the Sports Day DFW. Is that is that right? Sports Day DFW and Dallas Morning News uh, Sports Podcast. You know, I would like to put in a word in for our producer here, Tommy Noel, who who three times in a row now has got the ticker to go off exactly when he wanted it's a clock. to. It's, it's a clock. clock. Okay. It's a ticker. Okay, but here's what I'm most interested in. We, you know, we have Evan Grant with us, who is in who? Seattle. Evan Grant. Who's in Seattle? Did he used to be on the podcast? We well, here's the deal. We talked to him briefly before we started, and he was not very enthusiastic. Get I want to see, down. I want to see which Evan Grant uh, we get. Now. We get when we say hello, Evan Grant. How are you? Hey, good morning. <laughs> oh my <laughs> god, what a fraud! <laughs> Obviously, the drugs are kicking in. I just save all my good stuff for the air. I don't waste it on the uh, back talk with you fellas. You're kind of like Chevy Chase. You know, they, that's what they said about him. You know, on, on Saturday Night Live, he was funny on air, and then when the camera was off, he was just just a a dead a dud. So that's me, baby. Evan, we 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 also I'm talked. Your this, dud. We also talked yeah. this week to Mark Followell, who was in a hotel in Utah, and he told us what he saw when he looked out of his room, uh, the beautiful uh, snow capped mountains uh, out there. What are you seeing when you look outside your hotel room in Seattle? Uh, office buildings. Besides the wino leaning up against your window. Office buildings. Office buildings. Yeah, I'm not. Uh, I'm not facing the bay, the bay side. I'm kind of facing towards uh, I five. So um, that's unfortunate. Yeah, this is. Uh, that's but Seattle's my... a, oh, Seattle's it's a great the best city. town in the AOS uh, to travel to, and it'll it's going to be cold and probably a little bit rainy here today but uh this is still a great place and i'll get out and walk around a little bit and uh we'll go see some baseball tonight at safeco it's it's not it's not like there's a lot of competition of great towns to travel yeah, you to really AOS, you really narrowed it? that down that's it's the best town in, well you can't you can say in the al it's the best town i think new york new york i like new york but not as much as seattle Actually, I, for me, Seattle and Boston are the two best um, American League cities. I like them better than, than New York. But the best baseball town to go to, not baseball town from from Josh Hamilton's standpoint, but the best baseball town for me is San Francisco. That's just because you like San Francisco, not because— No, it's a great park. That's my that's my favorite park, too. It's a great park. It, it is a, it's a great park from a, from a lot of different— um, a lot of different aspects. The one thing about about AT and T Park that I think is a little bit difficult is it's such a small yeah, it's very small footprint that uh, the concourses I think are a little bit crowded and they're they're difficult to negotiate. But boy, the the view of, from the park is great. The location of the park is great. The atmosphere is great. The concessions are great. It, it really is a is it- a wonderful little little ballpark. And and to think that they went from Candlestick, which nobody had anything nice to say about, to uh, to where they are now. Is is is, is uh, AT and T Park any better than the park across the bay in Oakland? <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah, that 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 might be that is the worst baseball uh, atmosphere in the American League by far. It is the Coliseum is just such a dump, and it uh, with the the sewage problems that they seem to always have and. Uh, 
the mm-hmm. lack of people there. It's it's just not a it's not a great atmosphere. Now let's let's talk about let's a guy, let's, let's, let's talk about guy. something. What, what are we talking that makes about? You it? excited, Evan? I'm sure you get excited. When, you'll, you'll get when excited about this when Kevin's going to mention this name because the one redeeming factor they have in Oakland and, and they made a movie oh, no. about who is Billy Bean, right? The genius, Billy Bean. And Billy Bean, well, Billy Bean will tell you he's the one he, redeeming factor. Yes, he will. And he gave up on a certain starting pitcher who had Tommy John surgery, let him go. And it's not like – now, they do have some good pitching there in Oakland. Uh, but it's not like that, that you can just be letting potentially good starting pitchers go for nothing. And they did that with A.J. Griffin. And the Rangers signed him. He had his first start last week, and I'd say that went pretty well. Uh, yeah, it went very well. You know, they got a quality start out of A.J. Griffin. Uh, the big concern with A.J. would be, would he give up home runs? And he did not. Um, he was the first Ranger starter not to give up any home runs. Um, he got a, he got a ton of ground balls, which um, was was a little bit surprising for him. And uh, what he really did was control the strike zone. Uh, and I think that's a big reason why he stayed in the game six innings and, and gave the Rangers another quality start. So, it was very encouraging uh, to see what the Rangers got out of A.J. Griffin in his first start in Anaheim. Uh, and, you know, he'll get another chance in, in uh, four days at home against uh, – actually, he'll start here in Seattle. Uh, he'll, he'll get another chance here in Seattle, which is another pitcher's ballpark. And uh, what the Rangers need to do, you know, the, the big concern going into the season was could they get through until you Darvish came back? And they may only need to get four or five starts out of that number out of that number five starter if everything goes well. And they've gotten one. Let me ask you about AJ. You know, a great curveball. He throws it slow, slower, and slowest. Uh, the problem is that when when hitters are sitting on that fastball, and then it's then it's uh, fireworks. So. Uh, I did not get to see his start the other day. I was very sorry I didn't get to see that. Was he still just throwing a lot of curveballs uh, and a lot of breaking stuff, or did he mix something else in that, that would induce him to, to hit ground balls? Well, Kevin, first of all, in Anaheim, to actually watch the game um, from the press box is uh, takes an act of God because we sit in the right field corner. They moved the press box. They moved you? Yes, they moved it. Back from uh, – back from the foul line. So it's difficult to, to sit down in the line and, and watch and see. But he did throw um, he did throw a number of fastballs, and he did throw in a little bit, which uh, I think helped him kind of then move guys, uh, not move guys, but then kind of come back with that breaking ball and, and get outs on it. And um, he, he, was, he was effective with, with everything that he threw. You, you talked about the Rangers uh, waiting for you, Darvish. Do we now have to talk about the Rangers waiting for uh, Robinson Chirinos to, to return? Yeah, I, I, you know, I can't believe we're like five minutes in. We haven't talked about Noah Mazzara, but well, we, we're saving that. I, we're, sa- we're saving. That's you know what that is? Dessert. Yeah. That, but, but 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 as exciting as the the call up of Noah Mazzara to replace Sin Chu Chu is. I think the catching situation is really the problematic issue. That's why um, I brought it up before we brought Mr. up Nomar Mazar. Going into the season, or going into spring training, there were questions about, okay, if everybody stays healthy, will they be able to get 160 quality games out of their catchers behind the plate? And asking all those guys to do what they were going to do was 
was going to be asking Chris Jimenez and Robinson Torinos to go farther than they had in their career. Um, they don't have catching. They don't have a lot of catching in the minor league system. And when Torinos broke his forearm on on Saturday night, it left them with now Brian Holiday, who's uh, a, a career backup and who's never caught more than uh, 50 games in a season. He's now the starter for the next six weeks. And Brett Nicholas, who's never played in the major league, and really, I don't think was really on the um, uh, on the radar as as much of a major league consideration until until this spring. Uh, I, I, I that's their catching situation right now, and and I, I think it's I think it's a concern. Uh, I do think the Rangers will you know kind of chum the uh, the waiver wire, so to speak. I think there's always a possibility that they go back out and, and get Bobby Wilson and what will amount to kind of a cash or future considerations deal with Detroit. A lot of those guys who have minor league deals and are in the minors and who are veteran major leaguers, they have handshake agreements that, hey, if, if they get an opportunity to go back to the majors, uh, the club that they're with won't stand in their way. So if they want to go out and get somebody, I think they they'll be able to do that, but it's not going to be an impact guy. And I don't think that this club now, you know, they, they didn't show a willingness to sit, to, to pay the price for Jonathan Lucroy or Derek Norris earlier in the year. I think we get back down to this question. Now that you're desperate, are you willing to pay an even higher price? And, and I think the answer with them will be no at this point. You know, when I asked the question about the catcher situation, we just, we just had Mark Followell on. And you know what he would have said to me? He would have said, great question, Barry. Not, not like, what about Nomar? I didn't think we'd go this long in the podcast and not talk about Nomar Mazzara. And the reason I, I did that is because I saw Joey Galloway's debut. His Joey first, Gallo. Joey Gallo. I'm sorry. <laughs> we well, saw Joey Galloway's too. I saw that, Joey went, Galloway's that went really well. Joey, Joey Gallo's debut. I went gaga for that. I think uh, Jerickson Profar hit a home run in his first major league game. First major league at bat. Why should we be so gaga for Mazzara now? Well, I, to me, the it, it wasn't so much the home run that put it over the top. Uh, as a great debut for me, it was the first two at bats that Mazzara had yesterday. And 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 let's be let's be clear, Mazzara hit a 443 foot home run in his first major league game. That so was about eight miles high, too. Plenty of power. Left the bat at 105 miles an hour, um, and when every other Ranger was flailing uh, against Jared Weaver, he found a way to keep his bat back and and and. And, and recognize a pitch and, and crush it. So the home run is not insignificant. But I do think you bring up a good point, Barry. Jerickson Profar and Joey Gallo both did homer in their major league debuts, and they're currently at Round Rock. So uh, it, it's not the it, – it doesn't seal him as a major league star. I think if you look at his first two at-bats on Sunday, um, particularly for me the first one, he, he here he is in his first big league at-bat, Comes up, gets down one and two against Weaver, fouls off a, a, a breaking ball, um, watches the pitch close and out of the zone, and then when he gets another breaking ball, uh, he, I, I, I mean, watching his swing from where I was, it looked like he was swinging in slow motion to stay back, and I think it was a 64-mile-an-hour curveball, stayed back, kept that bat through the zone, I don't know, for 
two, three hours and um, <laughs> lace the ball into center field. You know, didn't try and pull it, didn't try and do too much, was able to control the bat enough to, to, to make contact there um, and get a base hit. Second at bat, same kind of situation. Got down one and two, uh, fought off another, uh, another uh, off-speed pitch, then got a changeup that he was able to hit for for a, for a base hit. So a pair of two strike hits in your first big league in your first big league at bats. I think that's that's significant. I think his approach was significant. And I, man, he seems un he seems unflappable. You know, every after talking to him after the game, uh, and, and and before the game too. I mean, the guy just seemed very low key, very. Uh, Professional. Very much like uh, not that he not that he was overconfident or anything, but just that hey, it's 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 another game at another level, and what I'm going to do is go out there and do what I've always done, and, and I think he took that. It's easy to say that it's it's much more difficult to go out there and then take that approach into the game. So uh, you know, following up on Barry's point about Jerks and Profar and uh, Joey Gallo, and not to say, I mean, w- we don't know what Jerks and Profar is yet. He, the, the injuries have have just derailed his career, but certainly in Joey Gallo's uh, from his standpoint, they're, they're two completely different kinds of hitters. And just what you talked about, as you described uh, the approach that Nomar Mazzara had at the plate against Jared Weaver. A guy whose fastball is not better than an average high school fast, you know, fastball. A guy's topping out at eighty two, eighty three. It's just amazing to me. He's the he's the bravest man in baseball to go out there with that stuff and do what he does. But nobody else could figure that out, as you pointed out. But Mazzara did, uh, and, and and knew what to do. He just has such a great approach at the plate, and that's why they brought him up. And then, as you pointed out in your uh, in your fine story today, uh, and not only did they bring him up, he's hitting second. Yeah, he's he's taking Chu's spot in the lineup. You know, you got Ruggie Odor, who hit 16 home runs last year, and was just phenomenal in the second half of the season, and he's batting seventh, eighth. You know, they're, they're, he's stuck down at the end of the lineup, and Noma Mazzara comes in, and and it's not just because he, you know, okay, he's an unbelievable hitter. That's not the reason. They didn't want to disrupt the lineup. I get that, but still, you had the confidence that to put this left-handed hitter in at number two in the lineup really said something about what. Jeff Bannister thinks about him as well. Well, and, and you know, I, there may be days when, it, particularly against left-handers, that Mazzara hits lower in the lineup because uh, you may you may change some things around. Um, and yesterday, Odor didn't play in a scheduled day off, so that may have also had some impact. But given the way he approached his at bats yesterday. He's going to stay in the number two spot, I think, today when when he comes out there and plays, and and he'll stay in the number two spot for a little bit for a little bit of time. And and I think over seven years, you know, when we asked Bannister about this in, in the media scrum before the game about why he was hitting Mazzara second, and he got a little bit defensive and and bristled. No, before, no, you know, just hey, you know, we're looking just for an explanation about why you're so confident, and not that we're second guessing you here. But after seven years of, of Ron Washington, I think that everybody who covered this team was kind of ingrained that the manager felt like if you were a rookie and you hadn't earned any real chops, you were going to hit in one of the bottom three spots, and that was a given. And so I think Bannister has – look, Bannister put a guy who had not played above double-A last year in the leadoff spot and had success with it with the liner to Shields. 
Um, he's not afraid, just because of a guy's age, he's not afraid to hit him in a more prominent spot. The one thing Jeff did talk about yesterday is you get to the number three or number four spot and the responsibility and, and, and kind of expectation that goes with that. I think that he feels like might be a little bit too much for a rookie, but uh, he doesn't feel like the number two spot is too daunting. And I know that there are some, prob- some probably some stat heads out there who, whose heads exploded because they all feel like the number two spot is, is the most important spot in the batting order or the place where you should hit your, your base, your best hitter. But all Nomar did was go out there yesterday and, um, uh, show show people that he's got the capabilities to be a very you, you know I, it was when when Bannister did address Mazzara as a hitter before the game he talked about hey he controls the strike zone he can be patient and he can attack a fastball when he needs to and if you look at his three at bats that's exactly what he did the first two he did control the strike zone he was patient when he needed to. And in the third at bat, when he got what amounts to a 79 mile an hour "quote unquote" fastball from Weaver, he attacked it on the first pitch and you know sent it into orbit. All right, now before we get to our interview, you have interviewed AJ Griffin, who we brought up earlier in our podcast. Uh, we want to go to that, but I want to ask you really quickly: Why, in the second week of the season, is Ruggio Dor getting a scheduled day off? Um. One, I, there are two things. The Rangers start the season with 14 consecutive days of games, and I think Bannister wants to make sure that everybody stays involved. Um, two, I think that he felt like as aggressive as Ruge can be at the plate, that Weaver might have been the kind of pitcher who could potentially send him into a two- or three-day funk by just messing up his timing. Um what is interesting about this is the Rangers do play 14 days consecutively. They have given Odor the day off. They have given Elvis the day off, both of those to get Hunter Alberto in the lineup. Um, they have yet to give Adrian Beltre a day off. And as we all know, Beltre is now 37. Uh, he's the oldest guy on the field. Um, there have been some, some injuries that Adrian has suffered, not last year so much, because of the, the thumb wasn't really a soft tissue injuries, but he's had some hamstrings and, and quads in the past. And it's going to be interesting to see how Jeff Bannister handles Adrian Beltre, because, you know, you go back last year and Beltre played 143 games and, and missed a significant amount of time with that thumb injury. But when I went back yesterday and looked at this, never did Adrian Beltre sit out a game just because he was given a day off. He played every day that he was on the active roster and started that game. So it's going to be interesting to see how Bannister handles these first 14 games and if he's willing to give Adrian an actual day off somewhere. All right, this is fascinating talk, but I see A.J. is getting very antsy here, and he wants he wants this interview. <laughs> so let's go to the A.J. Griffin interview, and then we'll come back, and we'll. I want my question to you be, when Adrian does sit down, who will play third base? But we'll get to that in a minute. Let's go to the Evan Grant's 60 minute like interview of AJ. All right, guys, I'm here with AJ Griffin, who uh, on Friday night made his return to the major leagues after two years. Long two years, AJ. Uh, you struggled a little bit to uh, put into words exactly what it was like to be back on the mound 
pitching against the Angels in a big league game. Have you uh, have you come to any kind of realization as to what you accomplished just by, by getting back on a mound in a game at this point? Um, you know, I was just trying to stay in the moment out there and just uh, execute pitches and, and give the team a chance to win. And, um, you know, it's just uh, it's exciting. Got my adrenaline going, and uh, I felt at home again back out on the mound. You, did you feel at home immediately? Because you came out of the shoot strike one. Uh, you know, when you go back and look at the game chart, you were strike one on seven of the first nine hitters with the lone acceptance being Trout and Pujols, which I can understand wanting to be a little bit more delicate with, but you had command of the strike zone from, from the start. Yeah, I mean, uh, I was pretty much locating all the pitches that I threw uh, around the area that I wanted them to go. Um, I was trying to keep these guys honest over there uh, by throwing inside and, and uh, not letting them get too comfortable at the plate. And we were able to mix it up and throw good cutters and keep them off balance and and uh, get the get the fielders involved and uh, yeah it was, it was a good team win. Was there a point in time that you had to kind of dial it back? Were you at, at any point in time a little bit too excited? Um, no, I, I I mean on the mound is where I feel pretty much the most comfortable in my life so it was good to get back out there and uh, and just uh, be able to focus on one thing and that's executing each pitch at a time and uh, and competing in a baseball game and that's what I love to do so I just went out there and and uh, just tried to get back on the bicycle and, uh, and go for a ride again so uh, I mean I felt I felt really good out there and it was, it was really fun to be able to compete and have the opportunity to go out and, and do my thing again. AJ, you came to camp uh, this year on a minor league deal, and, and certainly there were some other guys who had pitched in the big leagues last year with the Rangers. And I, I think on the pecking order, you were looked at more, at least external, at least from the thirty thousand foot level, more as a long term type fit than somebody who had to be on this club on opening day. Mm-hmm. That was not your approach, though, was it? Uh, I mean, you never go into spring training hoping to make uh, the minor league squad. You always go there and you try to do your best and and uh, kind of force the uh, the team's hand to put you on the team. So uh, I always go out there and just try to do my best every time and, and compete and and uh, try to earn earn a job. And that's what I had to do this year. I did, it wasn't given to me. I had to go out there and and uh, and get better and compete and do all the all the right things to be able to get this opportunity and I'm just really grateful to have it. All right, but you also earned it and then uh, we're told, okay, you earned it. But now hang on, we're going to wait a few minutes, we're going to wait a few days and the possibility exists that there may be something else that comes along. And I, I think we've asked you this in the in the media scrums, but as long as your wait was to get back on a mound, how long was it? To have to sit through kind of that extra waiting period, knowing you knowing you had earned a spot, but not yet having that spot. Um, you know, it's it's one of those things you just got to try to put it out of your head and not even think about it too much. Uh, you uh, just hang tight, like I was saying, the, the those few days, and and just uh, come to the park and get your work in and do everything you can to be prepared for when they call your name. And uh, I was just uh, being optimistic and trying to stay positive and hoping it would be me that they'd have start on the fifth day. What surprised you most about your first start back on the mound? I walked two guys. I didn't like that. Um, no, but uh, I mean, I was I was just felt so in the moment that I don't 
I almost don't even really remember what happened yesterday because I like after each pitch I kind of erased what happened and was focused on the next one that I had to had to execute and and uh, you know I just uh, kind of got caught up in the game and just uh, and just really focused on that and just tried to dial it in every pitch and and uh, good things happen when when you do that so uh, I don't really know like I was just so locked in that I it was kind of like a whirlwind and I was just throwing the ball. You know? All right, I got to tell you, you have got probably my favorite tattoo of anybody on the club. Uh, the Zoso tattoo, the Led Zeppelin tattoo on your, uh, I think it's on your left arm. Uh, what's the significance of that? Um, Led Zeppelin was my favorite band when I was growing up. Uh, I had all their albums, um, and you know, I just, uh, I just loved how they rocked out. So, uh, you know, I, uh, I decided to show a little, little support of the band with a tattoo. But uh, and it's a subtle one too. It's not doesn't just say Led Zeppelin. It's got the symbols for all the band members. So it's a little more subtle. You kind of have to explain the story about it except for real fans like you so um it's pretty cool that you knew what it was uh so like and when you get on the mound and you get in trouble does like black dog run through your mind or what zeppelin song kind of goes through there when you you zone out well it's definitely not when the levee breaks because we don't want that <laughs> happening but um no i don't know it just uh i'm a big uh I like physical graffiti a lot. I like that album. So just uh, some of the stuff off that. You know, you can't really choose a one Led Zeppelin song. Um, I don't know. Black Dog's a good one, though. Or Rock and Roll, maybe. Who knows? Rock and Roll would be a good one. I mean, because you, you want to rock and roll and get out of the jam and, yeah. and move on. Um, you do play the guitar as well. I do. Uh, any particular genre? Or are you a heavy metal type guy? Um, I like classic rock a lot. And I also like uh, kind of surfer rock, like... Uh, the cover I did earlier in spring training of the Slightly Stupid song, that's one of my favorite groups. Uh, I've gotten to hang out with them a couple times, and uh, they, they always treat us really good, and, and uh, it's fun to go to their shows and, uh, and kick it with them backstage, but, uh, you know, um, I don't know, I like uh, I like all kinds of music. I like uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers a lot, too. Um, if it sounds good and it has uh, has a good, uh, good musical quality to it, then I'm usually into it. AJ, what do you feel like, to, to get back to baseball for a minute after our little rock and roll break, to, to, what do you feel like you've got to do to build off of what you what you did in your first start? Um, well, right before you grabbed me to come out here and do this interview, uh, I was getting my workout on, you know, uh, just try to, just got to keep my body right and stay on top of everything um, uh, and just prepare as well as I can for each opportunity I get to throw the ball. So um, that's pretty much what I'm going to be focusing on. You're able to block out all the... <laughs> The roster permutations and, and machinations that, that would go through everything. You know, the life of a th- fifth starter is never terribly secure, but you, you block all that stuff out at this point, don't you? Yeah, I mean, all you can do right now is just take the ball when they give it to you and go out there and try to run with it and, and do your thing. So um, I just try to get every single guy out that I face, and, and uh, that's all I can do. So I just uh, ride in the wave and feeling good. Hey, the one thing that, about your start that actually did surprise me to to get off on another tangent was the number of ground balls that you were able to get. Uh, you are an ex- you, your stats are that you're an extreme fly ball pitcher. Have you tried to do anything to get the ball lower in the zone again? Um, you know what? I was very surprised at how many ground balls I got too. Uh, that's not a not a common occurrence for me, but uh, the cutter was working really well yesterday. I was able to. 
uh, jam them pretty good, uh, getting my fastball inside on them and everything. So uh, I think the combination of those two pitches uh, and also the curveball, I got it down decent yesterday. So the combination of all that stuff, uh, I guess it uh, played into some ground balls yesterday. All right, last question, AJ. You get a chance to meet one guy. Who is it, Robert Plant, Jimmy Page, or John Paul Jones? Gotta be Jimmy Page. I don't know. I love Robert though. He's just uh, he's got the charisma, great front man. But uh, Jimmy's a, a guitar god. It'd be uh, cool to to hang out with him and uh, pick his brain. You know, he can come across a little bit as kind of an angry old man, grumpy guy sometimes. Yeah, it's all right though. I think I could uh, break the ice with him. All right. Talk a little bit of baseball with him. All right, AJ. Thank you so much for joining us on the Ballsy Podcast this week, and uh, appreciate the time. Congratulations on the win. Thank you very much. Good stuff. As always with Evan and A.J. Griffin. And now I think Barry's question before that interview uh, was what's who, going to Who's going to who's? Well, here, here, I want to go back to this whole issue to me. And I get resting people. I get it. I get it. I get it. But I can remember one time having a conversation with, with uh, Tom you cut, You're cutting in front of me on the buffet uh, well, line. Sure I, I asked a question. Sure Let I me am. get an answer. No. Then we'll get to your no, point. But I, but the, no, the point is that I, I just don't uh, – with a young guy, with a young player, I, I just don't – I don't see the need – for a day off, if anybody on this club needs a day off, it's Adrian Beltre. He, he is the one guy. But that the needs answer, to sit down. the as soon as Evan tells you the answer to my question, you'll know why Adrian is not sitting. Okay, Evan, what's the answer? Who's what was pl- the question, Barry? <laughs> you know, you have the attention span of a gnat. That's why I just want to say. No, that. I think I think Kevin overtalked you. But what it, was the question? Was the Who's going to play third base when Adrian takes a day off? Hanser Alberto. Okay, I mean, that's, that's not. That's the reason. That's, that's the reason. You, you're taking. Why? You don't mind taking. You don't mind sitting Odor down, who's also a significant offensive player, and putting Hanser Alberto in. Who, by the way, the defensive genius that he yeah, is. That wasn't a great play. Uh, yesterday. Oh my gosh! That ball that kicks off. I mean, that's a that's a that's a high school play. The the ball's dribbling pad. The guy's already run past you. Turn and throw to first base, and to turn. And do that. Tried to do too much. There's no oh doubt about my god! Tried to do too much. And then I hated the look on his face at Elvis. You know, he's like, "Oh, should I not throw that?" Oh, oh my! Oh my gosh! Oh, you high school play. You know, it was it was a high school play. And you know what? For all the, th- I, I get it. You because look on the double play, he really turned that right after that. Right. It, it was it, he got rid of that ball and threw it. So he, there's no question. The hands are very quick and and soft, and he can do all of that. I just think that, uh, you know, he's not uh, – we had in that game, you had that play. In, in right field, you had Mazzara for all the things he did at the plate. Air mailing the cutoff man and throwing to third base, uh, mm-hmm. it, it, you know, that was a bad decision. Although Giovatella did not advance on the play, and I think was kicking himself that he didn't. Uh, mm-hmm. And then you had in left field, you also had, uh, you know, Ian Desmond make his first error on a, uh, how he let that ball go between his legs. I, I don't know. But that's mm-hmm. the kind of thing that I uh, that Martin Perez does not need to see. That is the kind of thing that he, in the past, when people have made errors behind him, that he has lost his composure. And I thought he did a pretty good job of working his way through those issues. Well, yesterday. his ability to get double plays is always going to help, and it's it's a lot easier to get double plays. When and how many got were there yesterday? Guys on base um, every inning. Yeah, um, that's right. Got uh, your pick. He had three double plays yesterday. He's got five and two starts, and I think he's got 17 in 15 or 16 starts since he returned from the DL. And he's he's great at, at getting ground balls, but 
what Martin didn't do yesterday was command the strike zone, and right. and five walks are are just really kind of unacceptable. Um, yeah, Desmond did let the ball go through his legs, and the Rangers were fortunate on 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 both the uh, uh, the Alberto mishap and the um, and and the Mazzara uh, overthrow to not really have damage inflicted at that point, but. What what Martin can control is putting pitches in the strike zone, and he had a real hard time locating the bottom of the strike zone yesterday, and that caused issues. Um, and, and the one thing that you know, the one thing that really, from a strategic standpoint, they got into a situation yesterday where he put the first two runners on, um, Gentry came up and bunted. And so they got the out at first base. They had runners at second and third. Now you got Trout and Pujols coming up with one out. I'm not so sure I'm comfortable. And, and I think for a while they tried to pitch around Trout. And, and to some extent, Trout actually did pitch, swing at ball four and, and got a run home. I'm not sure I wouldn't have just thrown four wide to Trout and taken my chances with Pujols with the bases loaded. And you've got a sinker ball pitcher and a guy who, you know, runs like a turtle. I think I might have, uh, in that like situation, turtle. tried to get the ground ball there before before anything else. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with that. I, I wonder, too, though, do you think that the, is the book changed on Trout? In last year, I think it was people were throwing up and in uh, on him. He was really struggling with that pitch. And yesterday, or the last you know four days, it seems to me they're trying to get him like they get everybody else, low and away, low and away. I, you know, I, I don't. Uh, I don't know that the book has changed because that's that is supposedly his sweet spot. And maybe you know, with you look at the Rangers staff, and none of those guys are power pitchers, and so it's it's going to be hard for those guys to come up and in on, yeah. on him, right? Uh, and, and what they can try and do is maybe come, and I think this is their strategy by and large with a lot of guys, is try and come in at least once during an at-bat so that they can then go away. But these these guys, Colby Lewis is going to get guys out by, by trying to go away. He didn't pitch in the series, but he's going to try and get guys out by going away. Perez is going to try and get guys out by going down in the strike zone. A.J. has got to throw that breaking ball to get guys to get guys out because he's not going to really overpower anybody with a fastball. Um, Derek Holland is the one guy who occasionally can, can throw some power stuff. But again, you know, Derek, Derek didn't make it through. He, he, he made it through five innings and threw a ton of pitches and, and walked some guys on, on uh, Thursday night and uh, left it to the bullpen. Um, and, and Derek's been the one guy so far in seven games that has failed to give the Rangers a quality start. I'd like to say also, because that the Derek Holland start was the, the Fox Sports 1 feed. and, and let me it, was say, the, it was a broadcast. It wasn't broadcast, a feed. Use I mean, the correct me. terminology. Excuse me. I'm sorry, Mr. Media. Uh, and I got to tell you, that was God for, Kevin, God forbid you make a broadcast mishap when Barry's on the Yeah, show. no kidding. I'll, I'll, be in the, uh, I'll be in the hot air this Saturday for screwing that up. Uh, but, but that was brutal, having to sit through that. Uh, uh, I, 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 I don't need any more of that. What did you find particularly odorous about that? Eric, Eric Karras, basically. Yeah, he's a little hard to stomach. I just, he just doesn't bring anything. I, I, I hate it when they, you know, the, when you're when you're following the local team, 
and you get these national guys. I like to know what other people think. I'd lo- I love listening to the national broadcast because— you, uh, you see what they think? Yeah, see what other people are saying about the team. And so if the game is on Fox Sports Southwest and ESPN, I always prefer to listen to ESPN. And I, Just to hear, I what, hear what other people say. I had people tell me that they listened to Karras the other night and that he sounded pretty good and they, that, they, that they actually enjoyed him. But the funny thing for me is every time I see Eric Karras at the ballpark when he's there to broadcast a game, he looks like he couldn't be less interested. And I thought he was bored in this wonder, game. I just wonder if that comes across in the broadcast. But like I say, the, the couple people that I saw that, that did uh, watch the broadcast the other night thought he did a, a fairly good job, at least the, the, the people that commented. What did you think and, of Kevin Burkhart? Uh, and I, let me tell you something. When you've got Ken Rosenthal on that broadcast and you've got him doing sideline reports, the guy is as well-informed as anybody. Yeah, he was the best guy to hear. He's, 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 a, he's a former Ballsy Podcast uh, contributor, isn't he? Listener? We love yes, I think I think that's on his resume. Ken Rosenthal, <laughs> we should have it. We should have podcast Evan, when will you Fox. be When will you be back with us so we can we could on our one line that we can use to call somebody outside. <laughs> I don't want to say we're, lo- we're, we're a low-budget low, low, budget. Uh, low budget place, but if you're here, we can call him. What, will you be back with us next week? I will be back with you next week. We're not trying to get rid of you. Our, Barry's trying to get rid of you already. No, uh, well, I can't believe there hadn't been one question about A.J. Griffin and Led Zeppelin. Uh, obviously, you guys like kind of read the newspaper during the interview. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> I, you know what? I will. I will say this. I, I was standing there because I was there the last day of spring training, and he walked into the club. AJ Griffin walked into the clubhouse with a guitar, I believe, and yeah. and somebody was following following him into the clubhouse, saying, "What in the world are you doing with that?" And he had just had he just bought it. Is that the story? Well, he he plays the guitar, and um, he has he has played the guitar for for a long time, and I I haven't heard him play the guitar, but. Yes, he does play it. I don't know if that particular guitar he had just bought, but uh, the one year that Lance Bergman was with the club, he traveled with a guitar. But, of course, that's because Bergman never played, and he had to have something to pass his time with. Um, but, Thankfully, no, AJ, you know, I, AJ's got this Led Zeppelin tattoo on his left forearm that I think is hilarious because this is in 2016, and I'm 50 years old, and... You know, Zeppelin was was cool and everything when I was a teenager. But to hear AJ say that that he grew up and uh, Zeppelin was his favorite band, and uh, that he, uh, <laughs> I thought it was pretty funny that I asked him uh, what Zeppelin song goes through your head when you're in trouble, um, and uh, he said, "Well, it's definitely not when the levee breaks." And so <laughs> I, I thought that was a pretty pretty prescient of mine there, and. Um, uh, He's now one of my favorites because uh, all I can think of is like a whole lot of loving when he comes on the mound. Well, you know, I have to say, uh, my my oldest son, our oldest child, Barry. Uh, what's your favorite Zeppelin song? Who? I, I'm I'm talking here. Do you want to you want to hold on just a second there? Did they do Stairway to Heaven? Oh my gosh! Yes, they did. Okay, that, that yeah. was my favorite. Is that is that he's he's he'll be 25 in June, and he had a friend in high school who had his own band. Very bright kid who went to Brown, made a perfect score on his SAT, and uh, he he was a huge rock and roll fan. Uh, loved loved you know they played very eclectic music, but uh, so I I think when you say that that's un- maybe unusual for a guy like AJ Griffin, I don't think it's as unusual as you think. There are a lot of kids out there who have kind of gone back and picked up that music. I'm not impressed generation. by the perfect score on the SAT. I think no? between the three of us, we had a perfect score. Also. <laughs> yeah, I think maybe so. Maybe uh, it, so. It is. 
I'm glad to see people listening to classic rock every once in a while. I will say that. Yeah, it's a it's a fun thing. It's a fun thing. Although although Kevin, we're country people. We're country folks on this band, podcast. Steely Dan. Steely Dan. You can't beat Steely Dan. I'm telling you. They're... Yes, yes, you can. And and you can beat them <laughs> with a drum and a stick and just about everything else. No, they're the greatest. They're the greatest band ever. The greatest. I believe that that Mick Jagger has called them the greatest rock and roll band ever. Barry, who is your favorite band? And please, let's leave Benny Goodwin and George Gershwin out. Benny Goodman. Goodman. Benny Goodman. Not Goodwin. I think it was the Starlight Vocal Band. Yeah, there you go. Do you you remember them, Evan? Yes, I do, actually. I believe they sang Afternoon Delight. I believe so. Yeah, it was the world's worst song. I will say this. Do you know the same person who wrote that wrote Take Me Home, Country Road? You know where I learned that? On The Voice this year. Oh, my gosh. You, you You know, that's really not that surprise <laughs> oh come on you know that jimmy page says that the opening riff guitar riff uh for reeling in the years steely dan's great oh rock and roll God. anthem was the greatest go. let it greatest go. rock and roll part for guitar ever written jimmy page of led zeppelin i don't think jimmy page has ever said that but uh, okay whatever. <laughs> yeah, okay all right just dismiss it i'm gonna start saying that when you say something about jeff banister i'm gonna say i'm gonna say i, think you I don't believe jeff banister up, said Kevin. that okay I think you know one member of i think you know one member of led zeppelin and just describe some kind of comment what is led zeppelin? <laughs> what is that? who who made led zeppelin god do, do, do you, that's what you've done here in this in the last five minutes if you know they're about the greatest, the, they're the greatest classic rock and roll band of all time Oh, who says well, who? More on the heavy metal side. The greatest rock and roll band of all time is the Rolling Stones. So let's just let's just end with that, and then we'll move on to the next thing. Well, I would say this as, as my old friend Scott Reed, formerly of the Dallas Times Herald, used to say: uh, the Rolling Stones are the greatest rock and roll band of all time because the Beatles are like in a class by themselves. Wow, I, I don't really consider the Beatles. What rock are the Beatles? And roll. Classical? Uh, or pop? They're like Michael they're, Jackson. They're they're the, they the best were rock at band. that point in time. They yeah, were considered they, they considered they were they were yeah they they changed music. That, that, so that, I give them credit for that. Evan, but, I'm really happy you're you're up, you're more upbeat throughout the podcast than you were in the pre-podcast conversation. Well, which, Barry, for which, all which, our which, by the way, I I, have, I believe we 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 have on tape, and we may play that if if you don't shape up. Wow, I, I have plenty of energy and patience and time for all of our listeners. For you, meh. Oh, my. <laughs> That's kind of a Yiddish thing, isn't it? I don't know. But no. I think we I think we have to move on. We have to roll on. This is We're in 43 minutes of podcasting. We have to pay overtime to Evan <laughs> if this goes to 45. Besides, uh, Barry and I have to go to lunch. Where should we go? To you Evan? guys have to go to lunch. Where should we I go? I have to kind of start getting rolling here in Seattle. And did everybody give a, congratula- a hearty congratulations to producer Tommy Noel? No. For oh. winning the Texas APME Best Two-Minute or Under video. Oh, my what was, God. What was it up? Holy what was it up? Cow. Let's have a drum roll for that. What do you think? Well, what, 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 was, the to- what was the topic? Adoption. Adoption? Tommy doesn't know what it was about. It's taking he two minutes just to describe it. <laughs> you know, it was under two-minute oh video, God, and it's taking him that long to describe it. Uh, Listen, the reason he doesn't know what it's about is they've got Tommy back there chunking out about 800 two-minute videos every day. So Tom, Tommy is one of my favorite okay. people in this entire building. Okay, one of the four of us has to produce, and, and Tommy not only produces the podcast, he produces for the Dallas Morning News. And uh, and he cleans up after us. The, at DallasNews.com. Yeah. Tommy, thanks so much for, for being you. Evan, 
It was a rare pleasure to talk to you <laughs> for about five minutes in this in this uh, forty-four minute podcast. Thanks for being with us. We look forward to having you back with us next week. So maybe we can get somebody. Who do you, who do you want, Ken? Well, Rose? I think next week we're going to have a big, big Rangers Astros discussion. I think we're gonna hopefully we'll have two guests. Two um, guests. Not somebody one. from you we'll have at least one guest from Houston, I think, from the Chronicle, uh previewing the Rangers Astros series that's coming up. And then I'm I'm hoping that we will have a national guest uh that I'm still working on. Kenny Kenny? Will it be Kenny Rosenthal? Uh it might be, but I don't I don't know. It's because he hasn't really thought he about it. He hasn't really worked hard. Evan, so. you gotta plan weeks in advance for this. Please. Yeah, that's true. Somebody needs to. Please go. Evan, thanks so much. I, Kevin, remind everybody who else we've podcasted with. We today. have this week we have for you David Moore of uh, Sports Day DFW and the Dallas Morning News has given us an eye opening podcast. An eye opening podcast. The top five picks on the Cowboys draft board. The top five players on their draft board. And why Greg Hardy Will not be a cowboy. And why he won't, and why he should never have been a cowboy. Why should, yeah, for that matter. And, and we call that, by the way, a podcast. A and podcast, yeah. And then, uh, then we also have for for the uh, listening pleasure, we have uh, Mark Followell talking about the voice. Maverick. What a great voice! Some real pipes on that guy. The, my, my, you know, my microphone was vibrating while he was talking. It was unbelievable. The the, the, <laughs> the I'm not even the getting into that. <laughs> it oh was, my god! I, it was just the, the reverb. Isn't that what we call that, Tommy? The reverb. The re- see, I, see, I'm, I'm really on top of this. Tommy. Yeah, Kevin, that, that's fine. Go ahead and call it the reverb, <laughs> whatever you want to call. It. Tommy said it was good. Evan, what you, the heck did, did you, you know? did you send? Did you send your DV, set your DVR to watch the Real Housewives of oh Dallas this week? Um, no, I, I, I just want to cover my head and my my eyes. I, um, I'm just. Scared what it's We're working do. our way around the country with these housewives. You know, you know, next it's going to be the real housewives of Marfa. You know, it's just like they, we're just going around the country with this. I can't stuff. wait. So, were the real housewives in the studio? Is that the deal? No, they they wouldn't come in here. But they went they went to the studio next door. But they took our the equipment studio. into the big studio because there was more than just uh, well, how many people were there, Tommy? Six, seven? Was there was there a publicist publicist with them and their hairdressers and their uh, makeup artists, Oy. like like we have when you're here, Evan. Yeah. So, but so, but they took our equipment, maybe even the seat Kevin is sitting on, no, into the very, other room. Here, here's the really weird thing about that, Tommy. I don't want anybody in this studio. Okay, when we're not here, I want you to lock this up and don't let anybody else in here. You got it. Okay, very good. All right. Okay. That's it, Evan. Evan say goodbye. What's for, wait? What are you having for lunch today, Evan, in Seattle? Where are you going? Fish? There will. Uh, I'm sure there will be salmon involved today. There may be salmon one day and and uh, some type of crustacean another. I like um, that. But hey, uh, is that place we, still we, down the street from uh, from the market? What was that place called? The salmon place. It's just down the street from salmon the market. or us? No. There's 8,000 salmon places down the street from the market. It's like a block. It's a block away. Come on. I love that place. Anyway. Anyway, that's a it's, Seattle's one of my all-time uh, favorite towns. Now Great Kevin's going to drag me to eat salmon somewhere. No, no, no. We'll go we'll go eat Mexican food. Oh. I promise. Uh, we'll be good. All right, gentlemen. Uh, it's been it's been a little bit of pleasure to be with you <laughs> and a whole lot of agony. Um I will speak to you next week. Bye, Evan. And you'll be here with us next week, correct? I will be there next there week. There he is asking another question. Evan's buying lunch next week. Bye, Evan. Bye, Evan. Bye, everybody. Bye, See you next week.